0: You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Voluntary Vixens, where Jesse and Maddie give a female voice to news and pop culture with a libertarian twist. Join us to stay informed and challenged while keeping it sane, peaceful, and most importantly, voluntary.
1: What's up, everyone? How are you guys doing? I'm here with Jesse from Volunteer Vixens, and my name is The Truth Disciple.
0: Hi, I'm Jesse with the Volunteer Vixens. Maddie's not with me today, so.
1: It's just us. (laughs) Yep. It's going to be a great
0: episode. I actually reached out to you, uh, I guess it was about a month ago, just Mm -hmm. because I started thinking about, with all the stuff that was going on with covid I thought maybe we need to have a discussion about the Tuskegee syphilis experiment because I feel like maybe most Americans don't really know what exactly happened with that. So you said you were excited about doing it. So
1: <laughs> I love the idea. It's such an important topic to hit, especially in a time like this when we're talking about COVID testing on African people. It's definitely such an um, experiment to hit because it means so much to our country. It means so much because it and f- built and founded so many things on ethics, on guidelines. And those people mm-hmm. and their ancestors are still getting affected with that experiment today. I think it was 19 of their, um, their lineage is still getting affected today because that settlement of 10 million isn't enough. It's not no. enough for four. years. And it didn't cover pain, everybody um, either. Exactly.
0: Uh, so it's there important some... we
1: still need to talk about this because the only thing yeah. that the American government did to take part in this or to at least um, try and helps, um, help the people who, are, who face this and who actually need help is they only gave a public apology by, what's his name? Bill, Bill Clinton only gave a public apology and he thought that was enough. Then a couple of years later, Obama gave a public apology. What is that going to do? And that wasn't the first or the last.
0: Yeah. So I, I was gonna ask you about that actually later on. <laughs> but yeah. since you're talking about it, I was gonna ask, like, do, do you think that that apology um, helped at all?
1: No, not really. Give an apology in front of American people. Yes, you're acknowledging it, but you're not really truly trying to help those who were affected. What is that gonna do to that all family right. and to those multiple families? of those 600 people, what is that going to do? Right. And given an award on stage, I don't see much in <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm, just, no. I'm just being honest. What about you? All
0: right. I, well, you know, I've, I can't, I don't think I'm allowed to have an opinion on that because I'm a white woman, so. But I do feel like, um, I think that, <laughs> Well, I feel like apologies mean you're sorry and you're never going to do it again. But we were just talking earlier that the government has sure had, they've done a lot of things since then. So.
1: You can't truly be apologetic when you keep on repeating that same act. You've repeated it in multiple continents and multiple regions and over multiple centuries. Then how are you apologetic for your actions? You keep on doing it. That's kind of psychopathic behavior and thinking if you truly believe what you're doing is wrong, but you keep on doing it. It's crazy.
0: And I also (laughs) think considering that um, Bill Clinton wasn't the one that did the study. Why Mm -hmm. was he apologizing for something he didn't do? I don't, I never have understood that. Exactly. How has it helped to get the apology, get an apology from somebody that never did anything to you? I don't know how that makes you feel better, but I was telling, um truth you know before we started recording you know how I first heard about the Tuskegee experiment Mm -hmm. um and I was just thinking like a lot of white people don't really even I mean it's not we don't get taught this information unless we're in healthcare, and even when we do it's a very like short and sweet example of like (laughs) why we have to get informed consent from our patients why we have to Make sure we when we like do procedures or in my case, when I was doing therapy, that we have the consent of the family to talk to their child who's a minor or involve them in the process of any medications or any types of other types of therapies. Mm-hmm. So um, it's never really like explained to us the depth of what happened. Um, but my first experiment or experience with understanding what the Tuskegee experiment was about. Was I was a a therapist in a psychiatric hospital and we had, I worked on the adolescent unit. We had a lot of kids come in with suicidal thinking and teenagers get, they're under a lot of stress these days. And I had this one young woman who she's about 16 came in and she happened to be an African-American and we, she was, we were about to discharge her. She was doing well. And we had to do our wrap up family session. So her father came in. And so I was kind of just going over with with him. I was like, here's the problem. Here's what's been happening. This is what she's been saying. And this is the things that we are hoping that outpatient therapy will do. And he was just getting more and more angry as I was talking. And I just couldn't figure out what I was saying that was making him so mad. Mm -hmm. So, um, (laughs) you know, I happened to, at the very same time, be training another therapist who was going to start working with us. And she happened to be African-American too. So it was kind of, kind of nice how this turned out. <laughs> so she actually kind of helped explain some of the things I was trying to say in a much more diplomatic way. Cause here I am, I was in my, I would say my early twenties, you know, so i I'm pretty much a kid myself trying to explain to this grown man, like what's wrong with his daughter. And he's like, what, you know, he, he's like, who are you? Um, <laughs> And he, he even said, there's nothing wrong with my daughter. And so I was like, huh, she did kind of say she was suicidal. So that's kind of a problem. I
1: think um, that's a huge problem. So
0: yeah. <laughs> so And the background with her too is that his daughter was actually a really smart, really bright young woman. She was actually doing really good in school. So the fact that she was even suicidal was a surprise to everyone in her family for that reason, because they thought she was doing so well. Um, But the therapist, you know, kind of smoothed things over. That the one I was training, she kind of smoothed things over with him, and then she came back and explained to me, you know, the the Tuskegee experiment and how it has affected the, how black people view healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. And, um, I still, she didn't give me a lot of information, but after she kind of explained like what it was, I understood now, like whenever I work with somebody who is African-American, I have to be, you know, a little bit more understanding and be more careful of how I word things, which, I mean, that's just the way it is when you work Mm -hmm. in that type of setting. So, um, Anyways, um years have gone by and you know I've became a nurse and we have studied. I remember, you know, watching a documentary about um the nurse that was involved in the study, uh Miss Rivers, and um just kind of how she her role in the whole study and really what she how she was kind of used by the people running the study to keep the patients, the subjects more comfortable and keep them in the study and um but that really was about it until all this stuff just started coming up with covid you know all these uh we can't get out of it we're not going to be able to go back to a normal life until we have a vaccine we'll never have a normal again this is the new normal we're going to be socially distancing and wearing masks all our lives i mean that's kind of the the message i was getting and it was just making me so frustrated because i just I don't know about you, Truth, but I just feel like we've way overestimated the danger of COVID to the point where I think, I think the government is sort of using it to more or less see and test the waters and how much they can control us and what we're willing, what freedoms are willing to give up. And I started thinking about this experiment, like it just popped in my mind. And I was thinking like, that's exactly what they did to these subjects. They lied to them. They told them that they were treating them when they really weren't
1: getting free health care. So
0: yeah, free. They're getting free health care
1: for their bad blood, <laughs> quote unquote.
0: Yeah. For bad blood. That's what they called it back then. So I don't know. Do you want to add anything right now from your, you- any early stories? um.
1: The first time I heard about the experiment, I'm not really sure when I heard of it, but I, I just think I was doing research about different things that have happened in the past in American history, and I'd probably just happened to cross, um, cross paths on the topic. And so I definitely did more research. I wanted to learn more about this study because it wasn't too long ago, and it's still relevant to, the, to this day. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to learn more and get more details and just see why everything played out the way it did, because it could have been stopped. A year, two years, three years, they could have stopped it, but they chose to let it go for 40-plus years.
0: That tells you oh, a lot yeah.
1: about our government.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And, the, and I just think, you know, let's just be real. Like, the mentality of people at that time was not mm-hmm. that great. You know, it was still a very racist time in history. Definitely. So, um, that's, that's, you know, let's just, that's just the reality of it. That's what so, plays a major
1: part in it as well.
0: Yes, because um, yeah, one of the things that the doctors, I think it was Dr. Vondele, I can't remember how to say his name, but one of the things that um, he said was that the, these black subjects in Alabama were the perfect subjects because they were so compliant and mm-hmm. they never asked questions, they just did everything he told them to and that because that, they trusted
1: <laughs> them they trusted them yeah
0: yeah so they that thought they would just... have their
1: best interest in heart, and they didn't
0: and that's the part i think where um i started getting kind of i was listening to a podcast about this uh-huh. and i'll link the podcast to you guys in our show notes so that you guys can um listen to it if you guys want to, because it's good it does a pretty good detailed breakdown. It's a four part series. So be sure be if you have the time. It's a long, long one, but it's worth a listen. Um, I'm trying to see here. Theodore. Yep. So I kinda wanted to go, I don't know, did you want to say anything else? Because I was just gonna go over the timeline of the experiment, if that's okay with you.
1: Yeah, before that, can I actually ask you a question? Sure. So how does learning about this tragic experiment make you feel about the system we're in? Like, how does that make you feel as a healthcare worker? About our system, about the values we used to have and we currently have? How does that make you feel?
0: Um, I've Well, if you've ever listened to any of our other episodes, I'm not a big fan of our government or our healthcare system at all. And I think a large part of the problem lies in our government because the government is trying to take control over something that they don't need to. Healthcare, I think healthcare can be run by, it should be run by doctors and other healthcare professionals, not by the government. We're we're the ones that go to school to learn how to take care of patients. We're the ones that, you know, we go into the field to, get to know our patients and help people. We don't want to spend 99% of our time, you know, checking boxes and making sure our documentation is just, just right so that we'll get reimbursed by insurance companies. You know, we'd much rather spend our time talking to our patients and having the time to do like our physical assessments and get of background and focus more on, instead of what's making them sick, how to prevent them from getting sick, how to live a healthy lifestyle, that kind of stuff. But that's not how our healthcare system's set up. And our government prevents it from being that way. And insurance companies prevent it from being that way too. So, yeah, I'm not a huge fan. And I think it lends itself to a lot of abuse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, where people who, this is what I'm saying, like, and it doesn't matter what color of skin you are if you are just a very trusting person and you don't question anything you end up being a victim of the system definitely and it cuz i've seen poor white like i live in east tennessee so i see a lot of real poor rural appalachian people who are the same way they you have a lab coat on they're going to listen to you they're going to do what you say you could tell them to do anything and they'll do it jump off a cliff (laughs) yeah and they'll hurt themselves for it you know it's just really sad and i see people who will spend all their money on medications like i'm talking about people who are diabetic who are type 2 diabetic that all you have to do is teach them how to eat healthy and live a better lifestyle and they're going to spend but instead we just focus on the symptoms. So we just tell them, take your, take your insulin. Here's your prescription. Bye. And they go and they just spend all their money on all these, all the insulin products that they need instead of maybe like just spending their money on healthier food, Yeah, teaching them not to smoke, you know, getting them through a non-smoking program. It can can go a long way. Yeah, we could have been spending all our time and attention on things like that, but instead we just make them spend... I mean, these some of these people will... They'll still go buy their pack of cigarettes and they'll still go get their beer and they just will forgo dinner and they'll just take... They'll buy their insulin. And then next thing you know, they're back in the ER because they... Their blood sugars drop because they didn't eat anything and they're still taking insulin. So it's like, you know... It, we focus on the wrong thing is all I'm saying. And Definitely. it leads itself to abuse.
1: I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah. So anyways, um, are you ready for me to go over the timeline? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So I want, I can't really bring up the Tuskegee anything without talking about Booker T. Washington, because he's basically the founder of the Tuskegee Institute. He's the mm-hmm. one that was he um i don't know if you got you know but he had dinner at the white house he's the first black man to ever be invited to the white house and had dinner with theodore roosevelt so that's kind of a big deal i would say and um he was really and i would say according to this timeline 19 um in 1895 he was beginning to start developing ideas about black economics um trying to um get that started off the ground. He had um, some some phil- philanthropists that were helping him with these ideas get to get them off the ground. In 1900, um, the Tuskegee Educational Experiment is what he started. He started raising money to develop the schools, factories, businesses, and agriculture. In 1915, Booker T. Washington dies and um, Robert Moton continues his work. So, now we're gonna fast forward to 1926. Um, the health, sh- health is started and syphilis is becoming a major health problem in the United States. 35% of people in the reproductive age groups are positive for syphilis. So in 1929, they start using mercury and bismuth to treat syphilis, but the problem with both of those, those are both heavy metals. And they ha- it's like a less than thirty percent cure, and both of those uh, medicines have a lot of side effects and are toxic and sometimes fatal. And I was just thinking, like mercury has been when it was used on women it would make them infertile, so they couldn't have children after taking it. So it's really just oh, wow. it was not a great medication. Mm-hmm. And also in 1929, the Wall Street crash happened, and so the Great Depression begins. Um, 1931 Rosenwald funds, um, cut funds are cut to support development projects. So these two doctors, Dr. Clark and Dr. Von they decide to follow men who were left untreated for syphilis during this time. And, um, so they're just kind of basically keeping track of symptoms to show that there is a need for funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say they started this thing. Back in 1931, for a good reason, to be honest. Um, in 1932, um, a follow-up turned um, turned the study, or turned onto the study. Um, they were able to gather up 399 men with syphilis, 201 without. Now, these all men, all these men are African American men, and they are in Alabama. So they're very specific to this group and a lot of them are sharecroppers and farmers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got, they managed to gather up over 500 different men and um, they, actually 600 men, sorry. Um, they would be given physicals and they're told that they're getting treatments um, and Moton, who was the one that um, took up Booker T. Washington's work. He wanted to use the study at the Tuskegee Institute, so he kind of opened the doors to the institute for them to do their study. And the the reason why he wanted to do that is also to get um, to get credit for the university, and also to have black health professionals involved in the study as well. So that's where Dr. Dibble and Dr. I mean, sorry, and Nurse Rivers comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, 1934. This is in 1934, two years after the study was officially started. Um, Some papers came out about the study. They were published about the studies about untreated syphilis. So now we're starting to get some, they're starting to produce some of their findings. 1936, um, a major study published, which um, the major study was published and it was criticized because uh, they didn't know if the men were being treated, but a decision was made by CDC to continue to follow the men until their death. So that point, I think, like you were saying, it was supposed to be just like a six-month study.
1: Yeah, six months. They decided
0: to make it. They they wanted it to be until these these men die. Okay. All right. So in 1940, efforts were made to um, hinder men from seeking treatment. So at this time, penicillin was starting to just make waves in the community about how it could be used with as a syphilis. Cure. Yeah. It wasn't officially a cure, but it was being mentioned. So that so the doctors started to get a little worried and they were saying we can't let these let our subjects know about this. So they were making they were like, let's shut it down. Don't let these people know. Officially in 1945, penicillin was accepted as the treatment for syphilis. So now if we know that this is the official treatment for syphilis, but they're still not giving it to any of these subjects. Um, in 1947, the U.S. Public Health Services establishes rapid, rapid treatment centers for syphilis. Yet, none of the men in the study were allowed to be part of that. All right. Fast forward to 1968, and uh, ethics of the study finally addressed. Were finally addressed by um, Peter Buxton. In 1969, the CDC reaffirms a need for the study. So the CDC, I mean, come on. How many how many times has people like questioned this, right? Or well, we've already had a treatment too. The CDC should have just let these people get treatment, but they never did. They let it um, go on. So as late as 1969, CDC reaffirms a need for the study, and they also gain local medical societal support from like the american medical association the national medical association they support the continuation as well so it's not just the cdc it's these other major uh, yeah it's disgusting (laughs) that's what it is (laughs) 1972 news articles come out and criticize the studies so they start it starts to come out 1973 congress decides to hold them like a whole year later Congress decides to hold a a hearing about it, and now there's a mass class action suit being filed. In 1974, $10 million out-of-court settlement was reached, lifetime medical benefits and burial services to all the living participants. In 1975, the wives and offspring were added to the program, And then in 1995, the program expanded to include health as well as medical benefits. And I don't know what they meant by that. I guess they were...
1: I don't think they want to think about that, (laughs) especially since they were originally trying to get health benefits in the first place. Yeah. It's kind of
0: And then um, 1997, President Bill Clinton officially apologizes for everyone. So... um, I mean, I, and then there's, a, after that, they've, they've had uh, reward ceremonies, memorials and things like that, but that's think, pretty much the timeline. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's just, I mean, it basically started the need for it began in 1931 and it ended in, let's see, 1973. Jeez. That's pretty disgusting.
1: It was supposed to last six months.
0: Mm-hmm. And when they knew that they, I mean, it was well known that penicillin was a treatment for syphilis. They still, they never gave offered to give any of these subjects syphilis. Yeah, they knew. I mean, um, they, they wanted to
1: syphilis. hide the cure so he could keep going. But at the in the end, what did they need to know? What was the well, goal? When because. I was listening
0: Go ahead. I was listening to the um, the podcast that was talking about it. I mean, there was one doctor. Oh my goodness! Let me look it up real quick. It's not. I don't know if it was Doctor Vondale because I think he was pretty much out of the study by that point. Um, I, to me, it just sounds like this is why I think that scientists are sort of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: they want to see how far they can go with it.
0: Yeah, they just. It's not about like the study is not about like improving anything. It's just, they're curious about what the effects on the body. Yeah. He was curious about the late stage effects of syphilis in the, on the brain and what they would do. And now this was in the timeline. It wasn't added in there, but what they would do even now, not only would they not tell them about a treatment and they would just claim that they're taking care of all their other needs, which they kind of did, but they would make them get um, spinal taps. And they would subject them to, you know, taking their blood a lot, things like that. And and just tell them that they're just doing it because they have bad blood. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't tell them because they never told these patients that they had syphilis. And, um, so and then the patients not notice, died.
1: Did they know not, not well, notice like the side effects of the actual syphilis? Because some actually already had it. So they might have thought yeah. it was just normal. I'm guessing. Yeah.
0: And. Sometimes, like, the thing about syphilis is that you can, it will lie dormant in your body for a long time. Mm-hmm. So you may not necessarily, like, you might Cedar have facts. the lesions, but you're not going to have, like, all the other things. The late stage is when you start seeing people who are going, who are having, like, uh, level of consciousness-type changes. Mm-hmm. Um the physical effects. They might have... Yeah, more physical effects. And then that's what they were more interested in. They wanted to see the really late stages. What they would do is after a patient died, they would then ask the family to let them do an autopsy. And they wouldn't tell them why they wanted to do an autopsy. But the reason why is they wanted to look at their brains and see the effect of the syphilis on their brain. Now, like you, like you asked earlier, like why? When you already know the cure, why would you need to know that? I mean, it's just, to me, it just sounds insane. Like, it just seems like a you're, you're like, now you're a crazy psychopath.
1: It's just a game. It's basically just a game. And you just want to see how far it can take it and ho- how far it's going to affect these people who are innocent. Yeah. And abusing and, your uh, power as well. And your position. And I
0: would say, I'm even going to say even go further to just say like, I don't necessarily know if they were necessarily they wanted to do harm. I Mm -hmm. just don't think they cared that they were doing harm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, they're so far removed from it. Now, some people criticize Miss Rivers, the nurse and Dr. Dibble because they were African Americans involved in the study too. But, I would think, you know, I know there was a couple of times where, um, it was said that she did, you know, ask questions like, why do we need to do spinal taps on everybody? And, um, she was, she was just told not to ask questions, just to record the data. And I would think, you know, I don't think that they were, they, I think that they were either so far removed from from the whole process, like they probably weren't given all the information themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I like, I know that Eunice Rivers wasn't given all the information. She was just there to basically treat the patient while they were there and, and, you know, do their assessments and things like that. And then just write down the numbers. But um, I would think in Dr. Dibble's case, I think he was kind of kind of stuck in a hard, in a hard place because he really wants to, he, he's a African-American doctor at a time when that's not common. And he wants that, he wants that to be more common. He wants more young black people to go to medical school, become doctors. And if he comes, if he messes this up, he might mess up not only his chance to be part of a major study or the Tuskegee Institute to be part of the study, but he may dissuade, young African-Americans from, you know, going to medical school. So he yeah. kind of is kind of stuck in a hard place, you know? I bet. So I don't know. I don't know. What, were you, what are your thoughts, you think, on that?
1: I definitely agree with you because the Tuskegee Institute was also at a hard time. They were early in the institute, institute, and actually just wanted notoriety to get started. Like, the plan was to get in, uh, notoriety to – build upon this and to hopefully find reasoning and the um, reasoning behind the cure and et cetera and actually help the institution but what ended up happening is the study produced nothing that's what ended up happening because actually research and found that they wanted to open up a museum after the entire study was going to take place to display everything that happened so yeah that's another part of it another layer to talk about as well because they wanted to ingrain oh, yeah. it into the culture of the university as well
0: yeah it's just so that's just so sad. the whole thing I don't know. I was listening to a a guy talking about um, the doctor who um, discovered it, the AIDS virus. He mm-hmm. kind of discovered it on accident, and he was talking about how these scientists are not humanists, like they don't care about they don't care about the individual human being. They just care about the study and they just care about the data that they're looking at. And what it's going to prove. Yes. And that doesn't that kind of sound, I mean, I hate to go back to the COVID thing, but doesn't that kind of sound like what Dr. Bergs and Dr. Fauci were doing when they're like in the very early stages of this pandemic, they're talking about, we have to shut down everything, stay indoors because the numbers are going to be really high. And so their only concern is about keeping those numbers low, Mm -hmm. but they didn't think about all the people that would commit suicide, all the domestic violence situations, all the children who would go without food because they can't go to school now. And they relied on the public school system for food. They didn't think about any of all these other major things that more things than I can even mention. They just had this, they they were just thinking about one particular thing and that was the COVID numbers. Reducing
1: the numbers. That's it.
0: And that's kind of what I think happened here. And on top of it, like, um, you know.
1: But the bad certainly outweighs the good. No question yeah. about it. It
0: Yes. There's no question. Um, See, I was looking at the doctors that were all involved, or the healthcare professionals involved. See, so mm-hmm. like, Dr. Clark, Dr. Ta- I can't say this name, Talia Farrow Clark. He's the one that started the study. Um, And then Dr. Vondelay or Vondelier, he took off after that. And then it was Dr. John Heller. And he was the one that in 1972, like they interviewed him for an article and he defended the study. He didn't think that anybody was doing anything wrong. And then um, Dr. I mean, sorry, uh, Nurse Rivers and then Dr. Dr Dr. Dibble. Um I mean he's the one and Dr. Dibble's the one that was um he wanted the experiment to happen on the campus um at oh, the Tuskegee wow. Institute. Another doctor that was involved was Dr. Wanger, and he was um he was doing he was a public health doctor in a Ala- in a clinic in Alaska and he was really um he was studying syphilis as well, so he was part of the study. But mm-hmm just thinking about how we as a society, we trust doctors with our health so so much. much. And um, I don't know. Do you think that maybe we might be a little bit too trusting of our healthcare professionals?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I actually had like before I would actually wonder when you get your blood drawn, where's that, what does that go? Like, actually, when you're at a clinic or at a doctor's office and they're just checking your blood, after they're done checking it, where does it actually go? And I think you can answer that.
0: Oh, wow. I, I was just you know, curious. I never really thought about that because, you know, as, as a nurse, like, we, uh, at, in the hospital, and sometimes when I would do home hospice and stuff, we would draw labs and we'd take it to the lab.
1: Mm-hmm. And we'd just
0: drop it off. So the lab would be the ones that, you know, the people that were testing the blood. I wonder if they even, Oh wow. I'm sure they, I know I've seen like all those gigantic biohazard bags filled with, you know, the lab um, tubes that we use. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but you know, I mean, if like you really wanted to go down like a conspiracy rabbit hole that would be a really dangerous one to (laughs) i don't even want to know like what What they do with my blood (laughs) like it may just like all our dna is like probably we all all our dna is banked somewhere yeah i think that's pretty much a given our
1: spit our blood
0: yeah and that's all they really need is our hair spit and blood yeah
1: it's not hard to get (laughs) And they can
0: make a new one of us they can clone (laughs) us all
1: i'm sure they have (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's scary to think about <laughs> but yeah I mean what do you I mean do you feel like I mean I had kind of asked you like do you feel like the African-American community knows about this study well enough to does it make them paranoid of doctors and because in my experience not only as a therapist but when I became a nurse I still saw some of that and I don't know I don't that,
1: think it's directly because of this. But specifically speaking on this um, study in the Tuskegee experiment, I don't think the average African-American typically knows about this and was taught about this in their family and school because it took me learning this on my own through the Internet to know about the study. If I didn't know about this and research different topics like this, I wouldn't have known about this, tu- um, this experiment at all because they don't, they don't teach this, you this in the school. It's not passed down you have to go out and search it for yourself. And so I I don't think the average African American in this country currently knows about experiments like this, knows about King Leopold and what he did did to um, Congo, like we already discussed. I don't think, Mm -hmm. I I really don't think the average African American or American knows about things like that. Ignorance can be very
0: bliss. It can be, but like, you know, what ends up happening though is you end up burst. being part of a horrible study where yeah. you end up with syphilis at the end <laughs> of it <laughs> i mean that, that and that could not necessarily that as a metaphor but i mean it's like like i was just thinking um about the covid stuff one thing that really just drove me crazy cuz even my husband is very paranoid as well about the stuff And he's even said to me, he's like, I'm not going to feel comfortable until we have a vaccine. And I kid you not, like there's a lot of people that they just will not feel comfortable until we have a vaccine. And I find that to be scary how many people are willing to get shot up with something they don't even know that's in it. Yeah.
1: And they haven't tested correctly.
0: Yeah. It takes it's supposed to take years before um a vaccine is developed. Yeah. Now if they say here's a question that you have to ask yourself. If they say that the that uh, the vaccine has been thoroughly studied and is ready to be p- produced and given to people, then you need to ask yourself well how do they have enough time to make a vaccine off of this virus if it just came out this year? So either the either they're lying about that. Or they have been making this virus in a lab somewhere and developing a vaccine at the same time for a long time and testing it on someone or some people or
1: for a long time.
0: People. Yeah, before this, <laughs> those are the two options that you have. Like I, I don't know, is there another option? I mean, those are the two things. Like those are the two scenarios that seem to be the only two scenarios in my head that are plausible. And none of those scenarios sound very good.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, it, it doesn't make me
0: trust our government more. <laughs> and especially, and so that kind of leads me to my next thing. Like um, our government hasn't learned its lesson. The CDC should have learned its lesson after this, that we cannot experiment on people like their lab rats. We have to inform them of what they're being studied we have to give them their diagnosis. If there is a treatment for it, then we have to offer that treatment to the patient. And especially if a patient dies, and we want to do an autopsy, we have to tell the family exactly why we want to do the autopsy. Exactly. Because some people are very sensitive about that. And some people don't even know what an autopsy is and and that was one of the things that nurse rivers would run into is that a lot of these families did not even understand what an autopsy was so if they were and they were just told simply oh it's just like a surgery but they're um but they'll be passed away while we're doing the surgery and they don't know what that means either and so they'll agree to it and they don't realize like this guy is going to take a saw and cut open their loved one's head, take their brain out, cut it up in little pieces. And that may be very disturbing to some people.
1: To most people.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. To me, I'm thinking like, well, if you do it to me, I'm dead. I can't even care if I wanted to. But to maybe my husband, he probably doesn't want that to happen to my body. I don't know. But, you know, it's just one of those things where you – there, there was just no respect given to, to the families people. or the, or the patients themselves. So anyway, so what I was going to say is that, um, since then there have been some other experiments that have been done. John Hopkins, um, actually right now is in a lawsuit for over a billion dollars right now. in its role in a study of subjects in Guatemala, they studied, um, Eight hundred subjects and their families. um, Just experiments involving um, infecting people with syphilis, gonorrhea, and other STDs. Oh wow! Other um, organizations that were named within um, this lawsuit is the Rockefeller Foundation and Bristol Myers Squibb. And I'm just curious, like, how does the Rockefeller Foundation end up in so many of these types of conspiracies? And this is in this cons- conspiracy This actually happens. I don't know why I'm saying conspiracy. <laughs> but I just find that strange.
1: Exactly. And who ends up um, in a lot of these conspiracies as well? A lot of mm-hmm. them. And I actually want to touch on one later on. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, the study in Guatemala, I mean, it's just like... Ugh. um.
1: How many people died? Or were they just... Like what are the specifics?
0: Let's see. It says um, for more than half a century, since the time of the Guatemala study, scholars, ethicists, and clinicians have worked with government officials to establish. Oh, this is just um, the Hopkins spokeswoman. We they're trying to say that they were they were doing rigorous ethical standards for of human research. Whatever. Um, let's see. See the this article that I found in the Baltimore Sun mm-hmm. that talks about this. Um, let's see, what year was this? April 1st, 2015. Okay. Oh wow. Um The Guatemala experiments have been compared to the infamous Tuskegee syphilis experiments, which prompted creation of much of the ethical and legal standards that we have to use here in the United States. Um in Guatemala, the, however, the researchers deliberately infected the subjects with syphilis, gonorrhea, and cancroyd from 1946 to 1948. In some cases, when the male subjects did not become infected with syphilis after having sex with prostitutes who had the disease, researchers exposed the bacteria to wounds on their faces or penises. Oh my gosh! Participants in the study included psychological patients in prison, inmates, orphans, and children who... Attended state-run schools. This is just heartbreaking. This is so heartbreaking. It's disgusting. Oh my god! These are like just the these are just the people that um, nobody cares about, quote unquote. Right?
1: Prisoners, orphans. They have no one.
0: People who are psychologically, you know, damaged in some way. Mm-hmm. This is sad. You
1: know, been through something.
0: Which they're expendable. By the way, yeah. I'm just going to say that's a variable that you don't, these are not healthy people in the first place. They're not a good study.
1: Yeah. Because they're not so the you're average taking person.
0: People who don't live healthy lifestyles in the first place and may not necessarily, because if they have a psychological type of issue, they may have other underlying issues that you don't know about.
1: And that could possibly and, affect the experiment yeah, it's and the outcome. Not a good experiment. Yeah. Study. And it's also not yeah. universal.
0: Yeah. So that's disgusting. Um, All right. And then um, we also talked about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, There is a study. There's a couple things with them, actually. I have it it saved in my notes under Other Shady Businesses. That's the notes I have. (laughs) Um, So I found this article called um hold on it's it, i had to look at this through my brave um search engine because google wouldn't pick this up it, i would have had to scroll and scroll and scroll so the article's name i title is india holds bill gates accountable for his vaccine crimes and this was an article written in 2014 um Let's see. He did a couple things here. Um, I'm sorry. I hate to be like so quiet. You're good. One such country is India, where the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and their vaccine empire are under fire, including pending lawsuits currently being investigated by the India Supreme Court. And since then, India has decided that they will no longer receive funding from the um, Bill Gates Foundation or Gavi, any of those foundations that are related to um, Bill Gates. Um, so the, the author says Eager to know more, I investigated their story and discovered that the World Health Organizations, the Gate Foundations, and two organizations funded by them PATH and Gavi. PATH stands for Program. For appropriate technology in health, and Gavi stands for Global Alliance uh, for Vaccines and Immunization. Um, they have found themselves under fire after a writ of petition submitted by the Supreme Court of India. So um, they were saying that they were criminally negligent of trialing vaccines on vulnerable and uh, uneducated, under-informed population and school of school administrators. So what the study is is they did they went to a tribal area of India and they were going to study the, the effects of the HPV vaccine on tribal girls. So um, they say that the tests in two thousand nine were carried out on sixteen thousand tribal school children in 16, the Andhra pra, mm-hmm, on the Andhra Pradesh, India in Andhra Pradesh, India um, using the human papilloma virus vaccine Gardasil. According to the report written by um, K.P., who uh, I don't know what that stands for, K.P. Um, within a month of receiving the vaccine, many of the children fell ill, and by 2010, five of them had died. A further two children were reported to have died in the Vadodara, Gujarat area, where an estimated 14,000 tribal children were vaccinated with another brand of the HPV, vaccine called Cerberics. Shockingly, the reports say that many of the consent forms used to vaccinate the girls were signed illegally, either by the wardens from the hostels where many of the girls were resided. A lot of the girls like in the tribal areas, they'll stay kind of like at a almost like a boarding school. Mm -hmm. So the parents won't really see them for most of the time because they're in school. So the school themselves would just sign them over to these studies, basically um so let's see the wardens from the hostels um and many of them were using thumbprints because the the parents that they did get um, consent from the parents were illiterate they couldn't even read the paperwork that were handed to them and their signatures were their thumbprints so this travesty was not discovered until a team of health activists from the non-government organization Sama, an organization specializing in women's health, decided to investigate what had been going on. According to the report, they were shocked to discover that a total of 120 girls had taken ill, suffering from a variety of symptoms, including epileptic seizures, severe stomach aches, headaches, and mood swings. So, um, I mean, I could go on, but I think that you get an idea, like, what happened to the to the poor Indian girls. So, and... Gardasil is something that is pushed on kids here in the United States today. Like as a nurse, um, that bothers me because I remember following this is in 2014. So I remember, you know, around the time right before we're about to go into the election season for 2016, I was following a nurse, a nursing forum and a lot of the ER nurses were talking about how your young girls would come into the ER with seizures and they had just had Gardasil shots.
1: Are you serious? But,
0: yes. But they were not allowed to say that it was from the, the Gardasil shot. And even the, the ER doctors were like, they would say like they were so frustrated because the doctors were afraid to even write that in the report. So something is going on like even here where people can't even talk about that. Oh my God. And it's a three series shot. Like you can't just get one shot. You have to go back for like a series. So anyways. All right. So that was 2009, 2010 tribal India. Now Bill Gates and his, um, his lovely wife were back at it again in 2012 <laughs> in December in Chad, Africa. Um in a small village called Goro, I could be saying that wrong. But um they uh studied 500 children. Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> this is so bad. Okay, situated in the edge of the Sahara Desert, 500 children were locked into their school threatened that if they did not agree to being forcibly vaccinated with a meningitis A vaccine that they would receive no further education. These children were vaccinated without their parents' knowledge. This vaccine was an unlicensed product, still going through the third and fourth phases of testing. Within hours, 106 children began to suffer from headaches, vomiting, severe, uncontrollable convulsions, and paralysis. The children's um, wait for the doctor began. They had to wait one full week for a doctor to arrive, while a team of vaccinators proceeded to vaccinate children in other villages. When the doctor finally came, he could do nothing for the children. The team of vaccinators, upon seeing what had happened, fled the village.
1: They fled?
0: Because mm-hmm, they knew they messed up. I'm, I'm just thinking like.
1: I have no words. It says
0: right there within hours, right? Within hours, 106 of the children of 500 in that could village. You could see effects. You could see effects within an hour. So why would you go to the next village and do this again?
1: They didn't care. They didn't <sighs> care.
0: So I don't know um So, those are just two studies. I mean, I could.
1: There's so many see, other um, cases of, of these type of scenarios happening. So many.
0: There's another one that happened in Islamabad, Pakistan. Do you want to hear about that one? Yeah. 2011. All right. Um, Islamabad, a government inquiry was found that a polio vaccine for infants funded by the Global Alliance for Vaccination and Immunization are causing deaths and disabilities in regional countries, including Pakistan. Um, According to the Express Tribune, the main vaccinations in questions were the polio vaccine and the 5-in-1, I cannot say this, pentavalent vaccine, which were said to be responsible for the deaths and disabilities of a number of children in Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, Bhutan, and Japan. Um, Gavi, an organization financed by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I mean the Rockefeller Foundations, the United Nations Children's Fund. Oh, my gosh. Why does the Rockefeller Foundation keep popping up everywhere? There's
1: Anyways, I think we all thing.
0: get the point. I mean, I could keep – this article goes on, and I'm just going to – I'm going to post it um, as one can of I'm, our show notes, too, because people need to read that.
1: Can I just point something out? Yeah. doing my research, I also found something very, very interesting. There's also, okay. um, there also a very, very disturbing case of who. They actually came to Kenya and they vaccinated 500 Kenyan women. And then after they got vaccinated, they, they came to get sterile. They started reporting yeah. that they couldn't you know, produce kids. They were having problems with infertility. So this is a long, long reoccurring thing in Africa and other um, third world countries incontinence, because I think there's a bigger issue. I think there's a bigger underlying issue. Maybe population control, maybe killing off African people, maybe just testing Mm -hmm. them like monkeys. There's something bigger, especially with who? Because it keeps on reoccurring. They keep on Mm -hmm. saying, quote unquote, vaccines are going to be used to these African people, and they give it to them, and they either become sterile, they die, they have huge side effects, or something terrible happens. Mm Mm-hmm. And yep. these people don't have that right a- education to decipher whether or not this is the right treatment for them. And other times, they confuse them. They say, oh, we have, po- we have this polio vaccine. And then three days later, they're dead. And there was an o- another case in Congo where a doctor came in and gave the supposed con- um, COVID vaccine to seven people in the Congo. And they ended up dying that night.
0: So oh, wow. These so they're just- already testing that vaccine?
1: Yes, they already started testing it in South Africa recently.
0: That's disgusting.
1: And I'm—I mean, I'm that's sure the thing. It's like funded. I
0: don't understand. Um,
1: and it's especially happening in Africa, and Africa's yeah. supposed to um, be the fastest growing continent. And by 2050, they're supposed to have the most population and the second um, biggest population in the world. And so, Europe and, and america we we are starting to fall off. You can see the decline in our rates of birth. And I definitely think that plays a part because if Africans and Asian people are going to be the new majority in this country, in this um, world, we have to do something mm-hmm. about that. Bill Gates is definitely going to do something about that.
0: Yeah, that's that's disturbing. That man, there's something so shady about that guy. I wonder how many times he got beat up in high school or something. That he just, <laughs> I don't get it.
1: He rubs me the wrong wrong way, definitely.
0: He just comes off creepy anyways. Like he always came yeah. off creepy. Um but I will say when I was starting out, like when I was ready to be a nurse and I was gonna I was gonna help everybody, I had all these grand designs of being like a I was gonna do medical missions. I was like India is a place that I've you know done medical missions in before and I've actually been to some of the tribal areas and um I mean I will say they are very trusting. I mean, if you are a white person and you have a lab coat, the they'll OG do whatever you regard. say. Yeah. Yeah. We would hold like free clinics for these people, you know, because they just, they don't have access to healthcare. So we would do like a free clinic where we would assess them and give them an- just basic antibiotics if they had ear infections. And mm-hmm. um, we had one guy who would even do fillings for teeth because a lot of them had a lot of teeth issues too. And um, one of the things I really noticed was just like, they would bring their whole family. They would have all of us check everybody out because they, that was like their chance to get healthcare. You know? Yeah. And it's just heartbreaking that they are so trusting. And then somebody like Bill Gates comes in it's taking
1: advantage, all takes all those the advantage of it
0: and says, we can make a test out of this. We can just test these, this new vaccine on all these people. So, yeah.
1: And not even care about their life. And it's not even like yeah. it's, it's likely that the vaccine is not going to cause any harm. They know it's, a, it's more likely going to cause harm than good. They know this is going to happen. They know there are going to be side effects that's going to affect them for a lifetime, but they still don't care.
0: Now, there's a rumor, and I don't know if it's true out there, that Bill Gates won't even, he never got any of his kids vaccinated. And if that is true, why are we listening to him tell us what we should do about vaccines? And why does he care so much about vaccines? You know, because one of the things um, I was thinking of is, you know, India, these people are sick in large part due to the fact that they live in environments that are very dirty. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't have clean water. A lot of times they have running sewage going through their villages. Yeah. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's trash everywhere. Exactly. So um, if you, I mean, at the very end of the day, if they had access to plumbing and clean water, I wonder if we would even have this problem. Um, And why spend all this money on buying patents for viruses, developing vaccinations having these labs that nobody's allowed to go into and see and check on the progress of, or what you're doing. Um, when you could just use that money towards these, just getting better, it's people, basic healthcare water to some of these places
1: and a basic life, <laughs> the basic necessities.
0: There's a, the, I mean, there is like this thing, um, they are starting to say now, like the polio vaccine was never really needed because as our standard of living got better in the United States, the the less and less people were getting sick from polio. And um, they were saying, they were, so they were saying like, maybe we didn't need the vaccine. Maybe we just needed better infrastructure, cleaner water, air environment, you um, know,
1: a better lifestyle.
0: Yeah. I mean, and the thing is like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of Indian people and um, a lot of them are like, they are very clean, intelligent people. So it's not like they choose to live in trash in their country. If they, if they had a better way to live, they would live it. You it's know what their I'm infrastructure,
1: saying? Their government and, and yeah, how it's and ran.
0: India's government is very corrupt, has a lot of problems. So
1: A lot of third world countries suffer from that, especially in Africa.
0: Yeah. So that's something that needs that's something that maybe like bill gates could use his power and influence in that way and money he he chooses not to and that bothers me
1: instead he wants to fund vaccines for african children and women that's interesting it's like and no one checks him on it The, the thing is no one truly questions him his motive why he's doing these to these people he no one no one cares
0: well, we do, and I think people in our community do, but it's just we're not a large community, and that's what's sad. I wish more yeah. people would. I and I have ha- I have found that a lot of people, especially with this whole COVID thing, it's like they just want to blindly believe what the CDC, what Doctor Burks and what Doctor Fauci say about everything, and um, I'm like, but. Just because they're smarter than you, like they may be legitimately smarter than you, but do you not think that they might have ulterior motive? Like Dr. Fauci, for example, he's been pushing that Remdesivir medication, and he's on the board of the company that makes that medication. Like, why is he pushing that? Hmm.
1: Exactly. There has to be another reason.
0: I mean, I just don't get it. Like a lot of these people think we. There's not a lot of people that want to that say we need to put our masks on and we just need to go and get our vaccines and just be good little citizens and shut up and quit fighting (laughs) this system. A lot of these people are also like, you know, hand your guns over to the government because you can't be trusted to not kill somebody with a gun. Because and then they'll just say, like, how can we trust people with that much responsibility? But then you say but we can trust those guys over there, just because they have a PhD behind their name and they work for the World Health Organization.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's like there's still people, and they still have their, you know, their biases and their problems. So, what you're afraid of your neighbor doing, you're you're not afraid of Dr. Fauci doing. Like I don't get it.
1: Why is he so trustworthy? That's the question we should be asking.
0: But why are we so selective in our trustworthiness? like it's almost like you don't trust yourself, even you mm-hmm. know i I find that most of those people they don't really trust their own judgment, so <laughs> I'm like, why should I listen to you? <laughs> but yeah, um, I am definitely I don't know about you, but I am definitely what still very skeptical about the numbers that are coming out. Like they're saying that we're having all these surges in positive cases across the country. Um, I think think it was,
1: I think it was Florida and Arizona that recently came out that their cases have gone to all time high. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. I guess it's because everything is opening back up. People aren't social distancing, but how long are we going to stay in social distance? How long are we supposed to stay in our houses? There's not a certain timeline or a certain date that this is supposed to be over. So, do you guys just want citizens to sit around and do nothing and just yes. be in their house?
0: I think that's, I mean, I think it's the people that can afford to do that are fine mm-hmm. with that. And, um, they're, I just don't know. I like these, I, I'm starting to realize that there's a certain group of people that I guess I really can't relate to. Um, Because I don't think like they do at all because I'm, I like to have my freedom. I like to have spontaneity in my life. I don't want to have to plan every little moment of my day around like how many people are going to be where and how far I need to stand away. And I have to have a mask (laughs) in my car at all times. How many (sighs) feet? Yeah. I just don't care about that. And I'm, I'm at a point I'm at a point where I'm like, I just kind of wish I could just go ahead and get it so I could get over it Mm -hmm. because I'm tired of this mess. But I guess, I don't know. I may have already had it actually (laughs) because we got pretty sick in February. So, are you serious? um, Yeah, we all, like, all of us got sick in February. Like, even my daughter who had the flu vaccine. I got, she was the only one of us that got vaccinated. She still got sick. So I'm thinking, you know, A, vaccines don't really help. Or B, we all got coronavirus and we just didn't know it.
1: And then spread it to other people. (laughs) Possibly.
0: Maybe. I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully not.
0: Um, But yeah, so I, like, one of the things I just, I guess I'm just sort of just thinking too is that um, with all the stuff that's been going on in the country lately, you know, we've had a lot of protests against police brutality. Um, A lot of like movement, the black lives matter movement has been making a lot of demands. And now we have like certain areas in like Seattle. And I think, aren't they going to be doing that in New York? They're making a, their own autonomous zone in New York now um i don't know i can't remember but there's just been a lot of racial tension and so you know that's why i even thought the tuskegee experiment needed to be discussed again because you know that was definitely this study would not have happened on white people back in the definitely days.
1: and could you imagine you know I mean? could you imagine the amount of experiments that took place during slavery could you just imagine when there oh, I'm were not sure any guidelines, exactly. There weren't any guidelines. No one was saying yes or no. You were just controlled. Could you imagine the amount of experiments that took place? That's crazy. Oh,
0: I I mean there are stories of things that have happened in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. like uh that were pretty messed up. But um, I don't remember that. There's like one lady in particular. I don't know if it's like a true story or if it's sort of like a um just like a urban legend type story of a madam that like owned a house like her husband died and she just tortured and um just mistreated her slaves up until she died until like they had a rebellion against her and i can't remember her name do you know what i'm talking about i
1: haven't heard of that one
0: I wasn't planning on talking about that story, so I didn't really look it up, but I, mean, <laughs> I, remember that, I remember that story, and it was like, she did some really just weird stuff, but I don't know if it's a true story or not, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's like stories of just aw- awful things that people, I mean, people do awful things to each other, and so I don't, like, while I still believe that most people try to be good and try to do the right thing... Um, we still need to be vigilant and protect ourselves. Like that's one of the reasons why me and Maddie are voluntarist because we really think that personal responsibility is the key to freedom. Uh, if you put your your health, your safety, your life in the hands of other people, then you you know you run the risk of being they used don't... and abused by those people. Exactly. So you know we talk a lot about like personal responsibility, which is why. You know, when it comes to this whole like um, police brutality and the racial tensions that are going on, we still focus a lot on the individual because um, I think that what's going on right now, I don't think that this is something that all black people are doing. I think it's just the media trying to make it sound like black people hate white people right now uh-huh. and we all need to be like <laughs> apologizing. And I don't think that's true of all black people. I think that we have, I think that actually we've made a long, a lot of strides towards um, being able to work together and do a lot of things together. But at the end of the day, we have to remember that we're all individuals. So it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what group you come from. You know, when you're dealing with people one-on-one, you're dealing with them one-on-one
1: and their actions speak for themselves. And it's just linked Mm -hmm. to that one person.
0: I mean, we have to address all of the issues that come with a person. So, you know, You have to kind of put aside, and as far as like when I do my job, for example, as a nurse, like when I'm taking care of somebody, I have to put aside, you know, all my biases a lot of times and just like listen to my patients and kind of know what, get to know what they're trying to tell me, what I need to know to take care of them. Um, I have to look at them as an individual. I can't just say, well, he's got a tattoo and so he must be in a biker gang. He's probably got hepatitis C. So I can't touch them. You know, I can't go down that whole list of things. I've got to just be like, okay,
1: I'm just doing my yeah, job. I got to be,
0: yeah, I just got to do my job and just like give people a chance, you know? And I don't think we do enough of that. Maybe, you know, I think more and more people are starting to realize that the media is inciting a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot of people that get themselves so worked up over what they see on the news uh I'm just curious, do you see a lot of that where you are where you live truth
1: yeah i actually see a lot of that. I definitely see a lot of that because people are taking what the news is saying and posting and they're running with it without mm-hmm. doing prior evidence without looking and searching. They're just taking the headline and running with it. They're taking what they're saying as a fact instead of searching it up and seeing if it's true
0: yeah, I was gonna. I was going to ask you, like, what area are you from?
1: I'm from Houston. Oh, okay. Yeah. What about you? Well,
0: I'm in East Tennessee, so. Cool. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, in my area, like, most of, uh, we do have some, like, racial tensions just because our city is pretty split up. Um, so we have, like, one side of the city is basically and my city is not like a big city but it's basically um you know the good old boys and then you've got the homeboys then you've got the scientists that live close to oak ridge and they're the well educated you know and then you know the everything in between you know we actually have we have kind of like a hippie population here kind of weird (laughs) I don't know if it's from Asheville, like being close by, but, um, so it's kind of a weird mix of people. But, um, when you venture out into, into like the wrong neighborhood, you know, it's apparent that you're out, you're not, you know, that you're on the outside, I will say. But I did live in Chicago for a while and it was sort of similar like you would think Chicago would be a lot more meshed up, you know, because it's a big city and it's mm. very diverse, but they have their neighborhoods. And um, when I was living there and, and I like to go walking around and stuff and just kind of seeing everything. I remember like that first year I lived in Chicago, I walked into the wrong neighborhood and it was clear I was not welcome there.
1: <laughs> what happened? I walked back out. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what like what happened?
0: Well, where I where we lived in Chicago was a um it was sort of a blended like we were right by um oh my gosh, I just completely blanked on the name of the university. We were right by one of the universities there in north it's in the north side of Chicago. And um Loyola, there you go. We're by Loyola, but the the place that we lived in had it basically was a gentrified neighborhood but we didn't know it we had thought it was like that for a long time but basically the guy like it used to be a crack house and he like bought all these crack houses on the same street and just fixed them up and what we found out is like some people were like coming back to their crack house after they got out of prison and trying to go in people's homes (laughs) but they were in now somebody's apartment Uh uh-huh so, um, it was kind of a weird neighborhood um it was fine during the day, but at night it got a little bit creepy still and you you know you would think um because guns are illegal in Chicago, you're not allowed to have a gun that it would be pretty quiet and you wouldn't hear any gunshots, but that's not the truth so um, a lot of violence, mostly at night, but we're uh we were kind of in a weird place where it was like. We kind of stayed away from most of that. But then um, if you go walk a little bit further down, it was more, there was the Hispanic neighborhood that was by us. And then if you go through the Hispanic neighborhood, then you get into like more of a black neighborhood. The Hispanic people tolerated us, but, you know, they weren't really super friendly. But when we went into the black neighborhood, it was like, what are you doing here? Like, they wouldn't smile at you. They wouldn't acknowledge you. They were like, get out. So (laughs) we got out. But um, it's like they wanted to come to us, but they didn't want us to come to them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we just kind of, like, realized that's how Chicago is. It's just, you know, there's some places where everybody kind of meets together in the middle. And integrates. Yeah, to integrate, but they like to go to their own places.
1: Mm -hmm. There's definitely a
0: Pakistani neighborhood, there's the Indian neighborhood, there's the Korean, you know, it was like, and it's great. Like some communities were a lot more, you know, letting us come in and and see things. Like I really liked going through the Indian areas. Um, Devon Street had a lot of really great Indian restaurants. I uh, had a really had a really good Indian friend. That I lived there, so she showed me all the good places. And um, the Pakistani area was great, and even the Korean area was great. They're a lot more, I guess, open minded. But I can uh, kind of understand because in the the um, black neighborhoods, when white people show up there, either it's they're about to five. be like priced out of their homes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or um, they they don't want to have anything to do with you because if something happens to you, they don't want to be like in, accused of it because the cops they're really corrupt.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So the Chicago police, I can't even tell you like how useless and pointless they are. <laughs> like, can't.
1: There's so much to talk about that. There's so much to talk oh, yeah. about that.
0: See, I was so naive when I went to Chicago. i you know when we moved away from Chicago that's when all these news articles talking about people like just dying all the time, and I remember the news just being crazy over there, but I was like, well, there's a lot more people that live here and it's a bigger mm-hmm. city
1: How many years did you live there?
0: <laughs> oh, we only lived there for like maybe t- a little over two years because okay. we were uh, going there for graduate school
1: mm-hmm.
0: so gotcha. we were. <sighs> Is all get out when we live there, but <laughs> Chicago is like it would be a great city to live in, I think, if you're really rich. But other than that, it's not, it's not that great. Oh, wow! Well. I don't know. A lot of good restaurants, though. Yeah, if you like to eat ethnic food, you could literally like eat at a different ethnic restaurant every night of the day of the year and still not even get through <laughs> half of them.
1: That's crazy. I'd love to yeah, go and try great. it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I like made my, my husband come back. um, And we went and ate at a Peruvian restaurant while we were there. Like my favorite Peruvian restaurant. Mm-hmm. And there's just no, I've never eaten food that good anywhere else. It's just this one tiny little restaurant.
1: What was it called?
0: It's called taste of Peru. It's like a tiny little place. And I hope it stays, stays like that because it's such a, I like the. I just like the close knit Mm -hmm. of it, and the the guy who owns the restaurant is very nice and welcoming, and he tries to talk to you about everything, ask you questions about yourself, and yeah.
1: But yeah, Um, but since the dawn of slavery, there's always been this racist idea that black people are. Indefinitely stronger, and therefore cannot feel pain, and so actually Thomas F. Jefferson actually publicized this this claim and made it um, made it public knowledge that black people cannot cannot feel pain and therefore can, don't need rest and sleep, and so throughout that time the black say, the black slaves would be worked from sun up to sun sundown, and so he kind of used that that um that motive as a way to make it okay for slaves to be overworked he made it seem like it was okay for them to be overworked for them to be under poor conditions. And I think that's still, that's still shown in our medical system and the way black women are treated in um, labor and the way, in the way um, the reform of the medical system. And also when they complain about being in physical pain, mentally, emotionally, they're always Mm -hmm. looked as, Oh, okay. It's not really that big of a deal, but we'll deal with that later. And so
0: yeah i will like i was gonna say bit. something about that
1: yeah i just wanted um, to bring that think, up
0: yeah because as a nurse like we see that sometimes like we'll um you know we'll have like the more like the the last hospital I worked at was um uh, much more populated with um in the area where more black people lived mm-hmm. and we saw sort of a difference you know and i think the thing is it's like black women are just more vocal they have no problem telling you like you know, what their symptoms are or how they feel about things and they're and they're they just might be louder, I mean, about it. And they're not the only group of people that do that. Like Italian women are like that as well. Um and that's just a cultural thing. It's nothing wrong with that. But I think that um I think that a lot of people who aren't used to that, a lot of nurses who aren't used to that, they when those types of women are crying out in pain and asking for help. They just think, oh, they're just being loud. They're just exaggerating. They're mm-hmm. fine, you know, and they won't immediately go and take care of the issue at hand. And so that's where we see like a breakdown. And that's one of the things that we've learned. We we have to basically, we have all these lessons and um, continuing education courses on culture. And that's one of the things and that our we biases. have to, to learn. But I wonder if some people just don't really, you know, they just take it and they don't even remember it and they don't really absorb it, you know, but like, I've noticed that, see, my husband is half Chinese mm-hmm. and Chinese people are very quiet about their symptoms and their suffering. So you have to basically, you know, without trying to push onto them things you have to offer them multiple times like ways that they can get relief before they'll finally accept it
1: and something i found that was really crazy is the fact that black moms are twice as likely to have their infant die before their first birthday that's crazy really yes
0: i did not know that i know i've heard about like Black women having a lot of complications during their pregnancy, like when they're in the hospital. Uh-huh. And because I think a lot of it is they're they're getting ignored and not, you know, treated for their like symptoms. Be. Yeah, because maybe they aren't their symptoms aren't taken seriously. Um, I'm not sure, you know, a hundred percent if that has to do with racism, but it could be just a cultural like breakdown in the in how the the nonverbal and verbal communication is going on. But, um, yeah, I did not know about the infant death. That is so awful. I wonder why.
1: Yeah. And to add to that, why do you think most, if not, most abortion clinics are in minority neighborhoods and communities? Because that's something I found, too. They're strategically placed for a reason. And if you didn't know this, abortion is the number one killer of Black people in this country.
0: That is so bad. That's so horrible. And and do black people acknowledge that? Do you think, Um, or is it just like kind of? It's not really talked about. Are they just?
1: It's not really talked about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because that's what I'm wondering. Like, I feel like that's one area where I can't just get on a platform and be like, "Okay, black people, you need to stop having abortions." Like, I couldn't say anything to the community about that, but it would yeah. have to be that would definitely have to be like another black person talking to their own community about that for them to listen i think because you know as true as it is it is um something that is hard to hear <laughs> from definitely. a white person
1: <laughs> and the black but birth yeah. rates are also declining in this country or and or they're basically staying at the same level
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah i'm curious also about your thoughts on candace owens because she talks about that a lot
1: she does could you just um refresh me a little bit i'm not always up to date Um, on certain topics
0: (laughs) okay so candace owens she's a black republican she Uh, kind of started the the black exit movement she's Gotten a lot of criticism recently because George, because she criticized George Floyd and said, it, like, he wasn't a good person and we shouldn't lionize you know, him or something can't. like that. Yeah. Oh, and so, I've heard of her. yeah. So she got a lot of, um, she got a lot of fl- flack for that. Um, but she's been talking a lot about black abortions for a long time and about how the population is dropping because, of, because it is. of that. So I'm just curious. I mean, I don't necessarily, I don't agree with her on a lot of stuff, but I, mean, I but think that's a, she's probably right about that.
1: It's it's true. Um, the white mm. birth rate is in decline and also the black birth rate is going down because of abortions. You can look it up right now. Mm. Yeah. And there are multiple reasons why the white birth rate is going down and why in the past they try to stop abortions to get that birth rate up. But it's definitely a fact that you can look up right now. Why do you think um, there were so many bills in the past being being passed to stop abortions, to get that white birth rate up? Even though um, 13% of the country is black, 36% of the abortions are by black women. What does that tell you about this country?
0: Um, there's just so many things. Um, I don't know. We could go on for decades about these conversations but could. i think the key though really is you know why i wanted to talk about the tuskegee experiment is really just to highlight how the government has used its its um used its own power scientific yeah it's scientific experts to kind of weaponize them against the population, specific populations, not just in our country, but in other countries. And, um, and it's not, it's not just like black people. Like I said, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like the poor, it's the disenfranchised, it's the people who are the prisoners, the psychologically impaired. Yeah. They, they, um, and it's been, it's been happening. Um, it still has happened. Maybe not so much in this country, as you, you know, recently it's been mostly in Africa, but I wouldn't be surprised if this whole COVID thing is another way to just get the population to just be at heel and, and do what they say.
1: Definitely. And can I just ask and, you this? Uh huh. What do you think was the good that came out of that experiment? If there was any good, what would you say is Tuskegee a good, experiment? yeah. That's a ski experiment.
0: My hope and maybe and maybe my hope for just this podcast, this episode right now is that more black people ask questions and they don't just blindly follow people anymore mm-hmm. they they and I and now I mean that's one of the one of the things that they they did with the Tuskegee experiment is they got their own doctor, their own nurse to kind of talk to the people and talk them into doing certain things like lay down, get your spinal tap, you know lay go ahead and sign over that your your family's body, so that we can cut its head open, things like that, they use their own people against them, so um, the same thing they do with every group that's disenfranchised that's been, that is um, being know, a victim of the system. Mm-hmm. So I mean, these are people who um, were sharecroppers. they weren't they don't read medical journals. You know, they didn't know they what don't was going on. Go home. Yeah, yeah. They don't. They they don't do that stuff because they're at the end of the day, they're tired. They're going to go to sleep. <laughs> so they need. They rely on these experts to tell them what they need to know. But this isn't. This is a different time, and we have the internet now. We have access to libraries. We have so much information at our fingertips now. We don't have to just sit down and just. Let these people tell us what to think and feel and what to do.
1: We have to come up and with I just, our own. That's opinions. my hope. I just exactly. So, if
0: anything came out of the Tuskegee experiment, hopefully, it's that more Black people are asking questions and, and they're own, not just blindly following.
1: And are also aware of our history in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: and it's something that white people need to do too, because I see a hell of a lot of white people being stupid and talking about how they're just going to sit home until the vaccine shows up. Cause that's <laughs> stupid too. But you know, and I think honestly, I don't think that, um, I think back then people were simple minded in that they look at something, somebody who looks different and they think, well, that person looks different. So they must not be as smart as I am because I am this but now is we know better than that and so now we have we we look at different things besides just race now we look yeah. at are they living in section 8 housing do they have multiple diagnoses for uh, psychological issues um has this person been in and out of prison oh and are they in a place where the public school system sucks so bad that their education is terrible that they might they'll be easy to manipulate so, that's another thing to think about. <laughs> Cuz I know but, a lot. I know in my area in East Tennessee, those people are white too. They're not yeah. just black. That they're they fall in all those categories. They don't have a dad. They live in a Section 8 housing. They have poor education, they have poor diets. I mean, all well, kinds this goes of, on. Yeah. So it's not So I don't want to say that we need to focus so much on race anymore, but we do need to um, think about, I think that we need to think about the disenfranchised. Yeah,
1: And it's it's happening all over the world. It's not only in the U S. Yes. And we need to focus on that because I think it's mostly happening in places like Africa, Asia, South America. And those people are hopeless. No one's really um, checking and balancing what they're doing. And so they're just kind of vulnerable. People people can come in and, in and out and just do whatever they want. They can test on whoever they want without any repercussions. It's a sad reality. Yeah.
0: What I would love to do is I would love if I was rich. I would love to just start an organization that just tried to bring and maybe somebody's already tried to do this. I don't know, but just bring. Um, clean drinking water to these these rural oh, yeah. villages and teach these people how to read and write so they can. So if somebody like Bill Gates shows up and they want to give them all vaccines, they at least know how to read mm-hmm. the, what they're signing themselves over to.
1: But, but, but sometimes yeah. they're forced, but that's another thing. Sometimes they're forced and coerced oh, that's true. into doing it without their choice. So, that's so sad. there's different levels. But this was definitely a great discussion. I I yes. enjoyed it. Thank you so much.
0: Yes. Um that's we we need to have a lot more discussions like this for definitely. sure. Definitely.
1: But thank you so much. Have a great night.
0: Thank you.